0: Malcolm Heinlein is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Heinlein, welcome back to
1: JM in the AM. Uh, thank you. A nice quiet week, you know, not much going on. <laughs> and a, certainly in the tissue up spirit.
0: A nice quiet week. It's funny. I remember years ago we would discuss the lull in the news cycle at the end of July, beginning of August. And it seemed to be that way. But that at some point, somewhere in the last few years, it seems that that has completely changed in every single yeah, day. like
1: 1955.
0: Yeah, and every single day there's more and more news to discuss. All right, a couple of things before we move on to specific questions about um, uh, what's happening with the Iran deal. Uh, first of all, I, I, I would assume that it would be unfair of me to ask you any specific questions on this topic. Uh, but let's just say, with all the news coming out and with all the news that's not coming out, uh, you and everyone else, of course, continue to pray that, in fact, uh, Jonathan Pollard will soon be released. And more than that, I would assume you would say there's no reason to discuss in this forum.
1: There's no reason to discuss it right now, except that people should continue not only to Davin for his release, And to write letters on his behalf, we can't take anything for granted. (laughs) The reason there's been a lot of speculation is because somebody in the the Department of Justice made a reference to the November uh, dateline, which is the 30th anniversary of his uh, release, and the day when the parole board is due to um, give a ruling. He had his hearing, and they're waiting now for the response, and if the parole board Um, gives uh, their recommendation, then it is possible, long overdue, but possible now, that Jonathan will finally have some measure of justice and be allowed to to be released.
0: Okay, well said, and we'll continue to pray for his release. And as you said, those whether we have a very effective role in it or not, uh, everyone should continue to do what they do uh, behind the scenes to help in that situation. Secondly, uh there was a uh, a rally in New York City this week, no secret we've been pushing it here on the air for a couple of weeks. Uh I thought um, despite some of the logistical issues which you know, we we can nitpick a million things here, but I thought that for an for a July weeknight with no summer camps around and no schools in session and with a lot of people away and people no doubt fearful that it would be so hot they wouldn't be able to stand and all the other factors that go in when people start to think why they can't go to a rally, I thought it was a really good and powerful showing by the masses uh, this past Wednesday night. Uh, yes,
1: yeah, so let me just add one thing on the power thing that's oh, yeah. coming up, and that is that people think it's linked. To the Iran deal, it is absolutely not linked to it. There is no correlation. This is the 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 judicial process or appeal, uh, pardon process uh, that he uh, parole process process, rather that he has to go through. So it's not linked. People think it's a trade off or something being offered in exchange. That is not the case. I just don't want because I know a lot of people ask me
0: that. Right. Good point. In terms
1: of of uh, the rally, I think the turnout was remarkable. Uh, I think uh, DEF deserves a lot of credit for the initiative, the the um, and uh, undertaking this with uh, with others. Uh, there was a remarkable array of speakers, and I think it reflects the the genuine feeling and the charge atmosphere. There reflects how much concern there is there and in other places, and there are many activities going on, many things involving members of Congress, getting people to understand what the concern is, uh, and, and it has to be focused on the substance. It's it's The case has to be made so that the American people understand, not because of Israel and not because the Jews don't want it, but because it's bad for America, because our elected officials don't want it, and because there's more that they study it, the more details that come out, the more concerns that are raised. Mm.
0: No question about that. By the way, speaking of the rally, and I'm sure... After this show, you will call me and, and yell and scream that I should never have brought it up on the air because I know the last thing I'm supposed to do is give any publicity to this. But sometimes you get so frustrated. You know, the, the, we cannot praise enough the NYPD and the mayor's office and everybody who makes these things, you know, possible and logistically possible. And, and there's no question that you would agree that the overwhelming amount of cooperation from both is amazing and uh, and we will continue to praise the NYPD on these airwaves and and why not they 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 are incredible but sometimes there's a blunder when the when the noticeably jewish looking people jewish looking people uh who are holding iranian flags and expressing their opposition are given VIP, what seems to be, what seems to be VIP treatment at a rally like this. You know, Malcolm, when I observe rallies, usually the opposition is blocks away somewhere and not standing in the middle of uh, a 7th Avenue 150 feet away from the main stage. So I just had to say that. I don't know if you want to comment on it, but. That's that.
1: Well, first of all, the, uh, the NYPD did a great job. Remember, it was very difficult because people, I think there were like three blocks on both sides of the streets and traffic running in the middle. It was very complicated and it's not the ideal location for, for that kind of a crowd. I sure in the beginning we anticipated that it would, it would uh, grow like that. I do have to say that I was very surprised about uh, the, the marching the, uh, those people into the middle ground and I, and I give the crowd credit for not doing what I know sometimes I feel um, my gut reaction is to them and to the uh to their horrific behavior and I mean for people like that to carry the Iranian flag people uh, representing a government that says that's to Jews that's Israel that's to America that they want that's who they want to be associated with and um but, but I don't know what the prior arrangement was, so it could be that that was an understanding they had.
0: Yeah. The other thing I have to say, and I know there's a lot of news and people are anxious to hear, as am I, and we'll get to it in a second, but I must say the, the number of people who came in from out of town I know that places like Baltimore, Maryland, were, were represented Wednesday night. Are you aware of the fact that Jay Schottenstein commissioned a bus from Columbus, Ohio, that traveled 12 hours each way so that 40 people could participate in the rally? I thought that was amazing.
1: I think it, it is a remarkable statement. And it, and first of all, I think uh, you know it, it's not remarkable about Jay Schottenstein because it's the kind of thing he does all the time. You know, does not look for publicity or recognition. Yeah, but that 40 people that, wanted to do that. He wrote, right. Um, <laughs> but, the, but that's <laughs> his name on it, uh, family name. But uh, uh, I do think, again, it, it, it is not something that's insignificant if you look at where buses came from. And also, if you see around the country that the federations in Boston, Miami, Los Angeles, many other places, have now come out with strong positions, and this represents community positions, against the deal. And I don't think there's any that has come out for the deal. Not everyone has taken a position necessarily, but I think that that is, in and of itself, an important statement. And people should see that this is not just the leadership, but it's, it's sinking to the grassroots, which is what will determine if we are successful, with members of Congress coming home next month, that everybody has to make sure that they meet with them, that they invite them to their synagogues or to their communities. Uh, delegation should visit them in their offices, but they should also be invited and have to speak and state their case and whatever their position and be treated respectfully, but it's a chance to educate them, which means people have to be educated. Right. And I think while they may not have read the 160 pages, they do know that some of the fundamental problems with the, with the deal...
0: And they should become familiar, and all of us should become familiar with some of those fundamental problems, because every time you speak to a member of Congress or anybody in, in a leadership position or not, it's important to get those points across. Malcolm, uh, just let's backtrack for a moment to, toward the beginning of the week, uh, when it became an issue with certain members of Congress that the uh, President of the United States, uh, that Washington, quote-unquote, went to the UN for the Security Council vote on this uh, before going to Congress. As you recall... The way this developed in terms of the agreement or the understanding in Washington of how this would work, was it obvious to an observer like yourself that Congress would get it first before it goes to the UN?
1: If you remember on the show, I spoke about this a long time ago that this would be a possibility that they would, that uh, they would go to the United Nations because that could bypass the congressional process, because the congressional debate only deals with the sanctions that impact the United States, uh, United States sanctions, rather, meaning that the Europeans and others can lift their sanction. Russia, China, certainly anxious to do so and to, you know, go after that holy pot of gold that they think is, is waiting there with the $100 billion being released and the weapons being able to be purchased. But the, the – um, so even if Congress – now votes this down. It does not mean that the rest of the deal is over. It means that American sanctions, which are very important and in and of themselves have a great impact, because if you don't have access to the American banking system, trade, etc., and if you have to make a choice between Iran and the U.S., you're going to choose the U.S. I think that the the um, uh, I spoke about the, the likelihood that they would be able to go to the United Nations. Now, many members of Congress, and by the way, the Majlis, the parliament in Iran complained about it also, and raised the, the objection that Iran allowed it to go to the Security Council before they had a chance to vote on it. Um, but it, it creates a setup completely of sorts, in the sense that the United States is bound by this vote on the international sanctions, and we learned many other things in the course of this. For instance, that the much-touted eight-year and five-year, sorry, embargoes on uh, conventional weapon sales for five years, missiles, uh, parts, and technology for eight years, is really not that because it says in there also that if the, Iran is found to be in compliance, if the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, finds them to be in compliance, which could happen in the first year because that's how they get the money released, mm-hmm. uh, then they, then the, the they can lift the the embargoes on both of those things as well. So so, the, so two of the key selling points that they were able to squeeze these out of the Russians and the Chinese and everybody at, the, at that time, is in fact can be easily short-circuited according to the uh, UN resolution, the text of the UN resolution. And it's very complex, but it's very technical. Some things, you know, people are not going to read through the uh, all the names, 20, 30 pages of names of people who are being exempted. But a lot of those people have killed Americans. Soleimani who's out of the IRGC, the Iraq Revolutionary Guard, is in the second tranche and gets out. You know, in five years, the sanctions are lifted from him. Why? They should never be lifted from him. And I think that, you know, again, I know people probably glaze over when we talk about these details, but every one of these has real implications. All right, so you and get... I think that that's why it has to be a thoughtful process of looking at and understanding
0: it. So two very important things that you just mentioned. Number one... Unfortunately, built into this agreement are a lot of ways around the teeth, if there are any teeth in the agreement right You mentioned the the years and the years can turn into one year, etc so that that 's number one. We learned that there are a lot of ways around it, and we keep hearing more and more about this i 'll ask you about one of them in a moment and the second thing, as you just said, is that Congress has a role here when it comes to the united states 's role in sanctions with Iran. But in terms of the actual framework of the deal, we have to start getting used to the idea that this is going to be in place, this is going to be implemented.
1: Uh, I, I don't think that we should yet say that this will be imp- uh, what, because the United Nations resolution right. will be implemented.
0: Right, because of the U.N. council resolution.
1: Right now the focus is on the U.S., and that is really the critical uh, battle now. Uh, and, and we should... Put aside right now the United Nations and stuff, the members of Congress can raise it with administration officials, why they were bypassed, why they feel there was an end run around them. Are
0: they doing that, by the way, in a bipartisan way? Are there people
1: on both sides? Yes, yes. And many Democrats were very upset by that and by the revelation just in the last 48 hours or so about uh, a secret agreement that two members of Congress found out about when they visited Vienna and, and went to the International Atomic Energy Agency and learned that there were two uh, codicils, secret codicils that were agreed to, but not between uh, the P5 plus 1 or the United States and Iran, but they put it as being agreed to by the uh, IAEA, which wasn't uh, revealed, um, and and they both deal, they deal with very sensitive issues, one about Parchin, which was the place where we believe that weaponization, and you know that for many years, we've discussed this on the air and talked about it. And that, and maybe that people that, never understood why we would take time on it. And that now area they will.
0: That area never made it into negotiation, right? Wasn't it left out of the negotiation? Right,
1: right. And, but it is in this deal. And what they agreed to, uh, and and the nobody is revealing it. The administration said they're not going to, and they said because it's not theirs and they don't have the actual document. They do have the document. Um, that it, it, Parchin is a place where the weaponization, and the Iranians have put six times concrete over it. They've done many other things to uh, to um, try and scrub the place, but, you know, the half-life of uranium is so long that traces can always be found. So what they worked out is that the Iranians will provide them with samples, meaning it's like going to a... Uh, um, somebody suspected of being a drug addict <laughs> and telling him, you provide us with a urine sample, and we'll you know then we'll trust that at the
0: judgment.
1: Right. The second seriously. secondly the the um, aside from uh, parchin the these uh, uh, secret codicils deal with critical issues that um, in the sense of the PMDs, and I know everybody gets confused when you hear the words, the possible military uh, dimensions about the past military activity, which is critical for setting the bar on how you measure what they have done since then.
0: Right.
1: So two of the critical issues are in these secret agreements, and now Congress is going to say the agreement, the, the law that was passed, the Corker bill passed a few months ago, signed by the president, says that everything must be turned over, that they have to tell them everything, and now they'll say, and, and there are also reports that there may be uh, understandings between uh, various parties, between the, uh, oral understandings, verbal agreements, that they'll say, well, we can't turn over. We have their verbal understandings. No, would... I don't know for sure if it's true, but that... there are serious people speculating
0: that leads to my next question it's america's one and only jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored wfmu east orange wmfu mount hope rockland county at 91.9 on the fm dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and robert gold studios in jersey city new jersey around the world in the web jm we're live with malcolm holm He's on a cell phone we'll explain why he's on the road so early in a moment um uh, we're live with the weekly update here Friday mornings at the or by Yudin coming up from Israel on this of Shabbos Chazon. Uh, I don't know if this is a secret part of the deal, if this is a well-known part of the deal, or it fits into the category of the two you just discussed. Is there or is there not a provision that military installations, that military um, uh, military sites in Iran are exempt from inspection?
1: That is a critical question. I and no one else can give you uh, an answer uh, because we saw that the Iranian defense minister said that he's ruled out any access to the military site and um, and, and information to any foreign party. The the Supreme Leader has said it. Others have said it. So I can't give you a definitive answer because we can't get one, but what we have heard is Secretary Kerry, others have said, look, no country, we wouldn't allow people to get access to our military installations. Well, first of all, we're not the same. Second of all, we're not the ones in the docket. They have a proven record of lying and abusing military sites, which if off-limits, they will just transfer their nuclear activity to those places. And if the, even if they would be put under that inspection regime, which everybody has heard about where they say that it would take, you know, uh, you get 14 days and then 45 I'm sorry, 24 days, it could be even much more. It could be up to three months. Well, you can do an awful lot, even in a nuclear place uh, where, where nuclear action is taking place, to be cleansed if you have, uh, if you can delay the process for, for several months. Yeah. So right now, it does not appear that they have, certainly not anywhere, anytime, and now everybody denies that they ever agreed to anywhere, anytime. So we know that they said, and they used that term, often in the discussion of of what the expectation for the, the regime to be truly invasive and truly effective.
0: You'll have an opportunity to discuss that question and many others. Uh, Malcolm, and the reason he's on the road so early, is part of the meeting this morning with Secretary Kerry. Um, how do you think he's handling all this? Because it does seem that in every single press conference hearing, he's obviously getting a lot of specific questions. Um, I, I, I guess he can't know every single detail of the agreement, but in terms of the way he's representing the president, do you do you get the feeling that he's doing a good
1: job at it? Look, I think he, he's got a tough assignment because Congress, you know, is pressing him very hard. I'm sure there are things that, you know, he is reluctant to to put out some of the the private information or information they would like to keep uh, private. But I think, uh, you know, he. He, he's, he is the Secretary of State. His job is to represent the administration position, which he's doing. Um, how effective it is, we'll see as time goes on and people have more and more of a chance to evaluate both what he says and and what information will come out, because inevitably things come out. It doesn't stop, you know, with, uh, uh, with just the first week, mm-hmm. second week's. As I said, we, we have learned some of the things through German intelligence sources, Russian intelligence uh, sources, others who have uh, revealed information about uh, um, what some of the additional... In- and, and, and also you have to be careful about disinformation and misinformation because when when um, th- that's a way of discrediting those who, who oppose us on legitimate grounds and and again i think the discussion has to not personal i think it has to we have to always think about what how you make the argument most effectively and it's not by screaming but but on the, in this case appealing to the minds and getting people to understand why this could be a danger to future generations mm-hmm. then they have to make a judgment and, and it really rests on 535 people and on a few of them, when a fewer number, when it comes to the override, if they can get two thirds or not of the Senate. Right.
0: Um, does it surprise you that he agreed to this encounter? Because I would guess he's thinking if he's walking to a, into a meeting that you're leading, it's likely not going to be a quote unquote friendly crowd on the issue of Iran.
1: He, he, uh, he answered a meeting. He knows exactly how people feel. And I think it was, uh, um, right thing to do i think you don't just go to friendly audiences if you're trying to convince himself but i think he feels confident enough in his ability to at least explain and put forward his case knowing that many of the people will be critical All
0: right um, a lot of people are focused on senator schumer uh, you told me off the air why you think uh, uh, you know that uh, that people may be going a little bit overboard uh, in, in, in being concerned about his vote, we'll talk about that in a moment. He did say in a statement, and I wish I had it in front of me, but I'll paraphrase, that in addition to looking through the agreement with a fine tooth comb, that's something he said before last weekend, and reading everything, his staff now has read it, he has read it, you know, this is what he said now this week, uh, he also mentioned he'll be consulting with those that he consults on issues like this. It is possible, is it possible? that you might be on that list of uh, Schumer advisors when it comes to his decision regarding the vote on Iran?
1: Uh, No, I don't think so, because I think he's talking about people who will be able to give him expert advice, interpretations of some of the implications of the decisions. He he may let us know, and and I do speak to him periodically, Uh, and I I don't at all diminish his ball. I think he is the single most critical person in this process right now because of his position. Because others look to him, uh, I mean, people like Senator Gillibrand, who has not said anything about her position, or Senator Cory Booker, who uh, has not said anything, and Blumenthal, Connecticut. These are are critical because other members of the Senate look to him, and they, I think, look to to Chuck uh, as a leader, and he's you know up to be the next leader of the Democrats in in the the Senate. It's a very important position. Um, uh, I, I think it, you know his track, his history as a supporter of Israel is clear. Uh, so, what what the concern I'm saying is that people should be careful with the, some of the language that's used. Right. But the intensity of feeling, and I think people, everybody has a right to, to contact his office, to send him a letter, to right. to speak to yeah, I, I there to let him know right. how strongly. Uh, voters in in New York feel.
0: Yeah, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to suggest that you were saying uh, that, that his role is diminished. But my suggestion so, simply was that yes, he's vital and maybe the most important person in this entire process. But even if he would vote against it, I think you'd agree we, we'd still have a long way to go, so to speak, to to make it to you know to the votes that are needed.
1: Right. I will tell you one time during the fight over Jackson Vanek, which was a very heated debate and probably the most intense. Um, that we had till now. And I think this is really one of those watershed votes. It's not, you know, just another thing, another piece of legislation. Uh, Senator Javits of New York, who was angry at Senator Jackson, who introduced the legislation, Mm -hmm. you know, which imposed the restrictions on trade with Russia, for reasons I don't want to go into, but uh, not necessarily, but when we went to see him, he was holding up 22 Republican votes, which was the key to victory, the margin of victory, to get it passed. And I remember Gil Clapperman, Rabbi Clapperman, sure. and I were there. We, he was then chairman, and I was director of the Soviet jury the Conference in New York. And he said to him, it was before Purim, he said, from the Megillah, that maybe it's your whole life, and Mordecai said to Esther, everything was geared just for this moment, or when you, uh, that, that he said, Rabbi uh, HaTzala, that the salvation Will come, we'll, we'll be solved, but you and your family will be lost and your father's house. And I remember Javits crying and he didn't answer us. He cried. And the next day, he, he turned the 22 votes over. So a single individual, it's not just his vote, it's the influence they have. And Chuck has a lot of influence, and that's why people are putting such emphasis on him. But the other votes, the other people, ought to be contacted. Every vote, every congressperson, everyone has a vote, an equal vote. Malcolm. And, and everyone should be talked to and respectfully and get to see them and talk to them. Be prepared, know what you want to argue, what what positions you want to put forward, and listen to what they have to say.
0: Malcolm, that is a great story. So you are not opposed to somebody going to Chuck Schumer and quoting that passage from mcgillis sester
1: I'm not opposed to quoting it to anybody, including (laughs) President Obama, that uh, they have to understand that this is a decision for generations. The implications of this, not just for Israel. You know, in many cases for other countries, it's a bigger problem, um, they say, but in the Arab countries and others who strongly object to this deal. Um, But but to understand the, the serious nature the Jackson-Vanick legislation, which most of your listeners don't even remember anymore, yeah. and the younger ones never heard of.
0: It was like on the tip of our tongues when we were in high school.
1: <laughs> of course, it was what we talked about day in, day out, and it was easier than this in some senses because it was purely an American legislation, and the Russians fought us, even President Nixon, who was then the president, was against it. For those who don't know, Richard Nixon was president of the United States, <laughs> <laughs> and Henry Kissinger was secretary of state, and he opposed us. And ultimately, it was the people that decided, the people's support, going into the streets and, uh, and most of all lobbying it, and making the case why this was critical. Everybody said it would destroy the relationship. What did it do? It forced it in the same way the sanctions brought Iran to the table, something the president acknowledges, even though it was congressional sanctions, an initiative to, to put in sanctions, um, that that uh, brought the, the Iranians to the table. And, you know, we, unfortunately, because of this, we're ignoring all the rest of the world. That's right. Um, you know, there's so many other things that uh, that are going on. There was this great report on the PA educational system, which showed the widespread glorification of terrorism, which I hope maybe, well, next week we'll get into, and to talk about some of the other developments. But think of what the release of all of this money will do for Hamas, Hezbollah, or the Houthis, even at 10 percent... Of the released money, it would mean 15 billion dollars would be available, and some say it's only 100 billion. So it'll be 10 billion if 10 percent. And most of the Iranian experts we talked to say they don't expect the money to spend domestically. Something will be done. They'll show, you know, to give people a sense that they have some benefits, but it's going to go for their agenda and his agenda still is hegemony in the region, it's control of the region, and too much of what we hear. Lends to support to the idea that they, that we're going to protect them from from sabotage. We're going to help them from uh, any effort, uh, cyber attacks, and other things on their on their uh, um, uh, nuclear related computer systems. But what are we doing? And and so all of these things really need to be clarified. People have to get the information on it. And um, and and the one and one of the things that was good news this week is that the Italian. Uh, Prime Minister was in uh, w- was in Israel and he, and he spoke at the Knesset uh, I think Thursday uh, Wednesday or Thursday and he gave a really great speech it's a an Matteo Renzi is the Prime Minister and he uh, spoke highly about Israel and he spoke about the Jewish people's right to the state in the homeland and it doesn't exist because of the world's generosity after the Holocaust that Israel existed hundreds of years before and you're the fulcrum of the world etc so Um, he said, whoever thinks to boycott Israel does not understand that he is harming himself and betraying his future, Mm. and that Italy will always stand for cooperation and never for boycotts, which are stupid and futile. Now, why can't every foreign minister in Europe say that, and then implement it, and stop uh, the the ridiculous uh, talk There was reports about the banking sanctions against Israel? That does not appear to be true. But, Certainly, we see the movement and the legislation and the efforts that are being created to uh, to uh, uh, introduce these ideas.
0: By the way, on your earlier point, President Obama himself, in that BBC interview, said that lifting of the sanctions will increase Iran's ability to finance terrorists. Even he and agrees. that
1: that steps have to be taken. And the the problem is that we know who we're dealing with, <laughs> and we know what kind of it what their intention is. And he says, Khomeini I says, we're going to continue our war with the United States. He said that to America after they signed the deal. So it isn't as if it's going to change. And the deal actually calls for, um, calls for uh, 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 that the speeches that they give are supposed to change and that they <laughs> to be held to account for, you know, for public speeches, all the parties, not just uh,
0: that made Iran. it into the agreement.
1: Yeah, but wait, so what are you going to do when he continues these speeches? He can say, that's to America, that's to Israel. There's no consequence for it. They can say that we're never going to agree to this, we're never the, Israel's existence, the legitimacy of Israel. We, we want to deal with the Shiites and it the, and the threatens uh, Bahrain, it threatens Qatar, it threatens uh, Kuwait, other countries in the region. There's no consequence to it.
0: Oh, that's And for now sure. we're
1: going to release all of this money and 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 gain an international standing and have delegations coming from Germany, France. The foreign ministers, the president of Austria is going. The foreign minister of France is going. Fabius the, the, and others are going there. At least a German official, the vice chancellor, once said that we can never accept uh, what you say about Israel uh, challenging Israel's right to exist, etc. But the fact is, they're going there and they're gaining international legitimacy.
0: At least the military option is still on the table. They keep speaking like that, Malcolm. The military option still on the table. By the way, um, and we'll continue to talk, obviously, over the next few weeks about what people can do, and, and you want to emphasize, by the way, that it's You know, people should keep in mind September seventeenth, you know. If you're gonna if you're gonna put in a twenty four hour a day effort in this, remember that there's a lot of weeks down the road that we're gonna need the pressure as well, not just now at the very beginning of this whole process.
1: And the vote could be a bit earlier. It could be even September tenth. So we have to prepare that after Labor Day there will be another push. But I know there are delegations going to Washington. But most importantly is now these guys are coming. You know, to your hometown uh, appearing in the local theater. So make sure that people reach out to them and speak to them and try to win them, not alienate them, win them by the strength of our arguments and the legitimacy of the case because I think it's a very strong one.
0: Some people have uh, mentioned to me and brought to my attention that they're not happy with Israeli officials. Uh, I don't know if the ambassador would fall into this category, but Israeli officials coming here to act as lobbyists during this process, especially since the uh, political community and the Jewish community uh, in general seems to be pretty passionate and involved in the process. What's your feeling about Israeli officials and members of government coming here to state their case regarding the deal?
1: Well, they really haven't come here. They've been doing interviews mostly with uh, um, foreign sources, you know, American media and stuff, (laughs) Sorry, and making the case so... It is a legitimate question because we do not believe Israel should be the focal point, that we have to make this case to the American people. Obviously, Israel is threatened, and for us this is a major motivation. But to win the the majority of the American people, we have to show them that this is about the United States' security. It's about the future of our children and grandchildren in the United States because when they're building these Internet continental ballistic missiles, they don't need them against Israel. They can use shorter-range missiles. This is obviously against Europe and the United States. They are developing, you know, uh, the, the nuclear warheads that will be able to carry a bomb that will not be used against Israel. Uh, their nuclear weapons that they're developing could be used, but they don't need the missile carriers to do that. So that's one. Two, I think the fact that you had a united front in Israel, that the opposition, every one of the opposition, Lapid and Bushi and every Herzog and others, are standing together is a very important statement. I think that really made a difference to... Uh, to the American public and to many members Who see that this is not just Netanyahu taking some political stance But that those who have looked at it Across the board, the spectrum Recognize that this is a dangerous deal Alright, okay. well
0: uh, Alright, we'll talk plenty more about this By the way, there's some, there were some arrests yesterday I mean, peaceful arrests At uh, at Chuck Schumer's office uh, Was curious in your in your Student struggle days, did you ever uh, Make it into the Hooskow, Malcolm Or you avoided all that? <laughs>
1: No, somehow I avoided it, but I, I did get arrested in Russia. Oh, in Russia! Activities we for Russian Jews and uh, in other places for uh, similar things, but never in the United States.
0: Wow, rem- my
1: record's clean. It reminds so me—I
0: so I think I've told you this story before. It was one of the most interesting days of my life. I, I was um, sitting in Chevron with Rabbi Avi Weiss and Rabbi Levinger together in the cafe in Chevrode. And and Rabbi Weiss says to Rabbi Levinger, uh I have never ever been arrested inside the state of israel that's my shita i've never been arrested in israel and everybody Levinger said i've never been arrested outside the state of israel <laughs> <laughs> that's my shita so right. so there you go we know we know the home line creed now russia's fine but it's not happening in the united states
1: <laughs> russia jordan other places god almighty it's all good
0: can only imagine what the conditions were like there all right i know it's hey it really is era of Tishabov. what am i saying uh, Shabbos is not erev of B'av. Shabbos is the ninth of Av. So today is erev of B'av. And Malcolm, with that in mind, we should end on a note of uh, of Jewish unity and concentrate on the topics that will hopefully bring us to the ultimate salvation. What is your message as we get ready to observe, unfortunately, yet another Tishah That the
1: antidote to what caused Tishah B'av, chinat is avat That the antidote to the um, uh, reasonless hatred is is uh, is true love and, and feeling for one another, that Jewish unity is the most important thing we can achieve, and especially in a time of tension like this, we have to be one, and even if people disagree, we do it respectfully, and that they understand and think about the consequences of their words and their actions, that this is uh, a, a critical moment that future generations will look back at and will judge what people have done and didn't do and how it was done, but we need to maintain the unity of our community over an extended period and the uh, uh, commitments that we have to one another. Oh,
0: no question about it. Have a, a good Shabbos and an easy fast. Yes. We'll speak again Thank you next you week. And,
1: to everyone. And, and good luck today. I hope it's the last one before
0: yeah. it becomes a simple. Amen to that. I say good luck today to Malcolm. As we mentioned earlier, he's, uh, of course, leading that meeting with Secretary Kerry, which will begin uh, probably in the next 90 minutes or so in New York City. So uh, we wish him the best of luck. Uh,